this episode, I got to have a conversation with Damien Peters, CEO of Wealth Noir. And y'all will see, it feels like we're kindred spirits. We met at a conference, FinCon, uh, kept in touch. Uh, I was an uh, interview for his blog site. And this brother's doing big things. Worked at Facebook uh, early on, helped develop the ad product, uh, created his own blog, has a consulting company, real estate investor, uh, has a business that uh, is location independent. He actually lives in Spain. Uh, you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about a lot. All right, y'all. Today, I am here with Damien Peters, uh, international traveler, um, technology um, guy, blogger, business owner, entrepreneur. Uh, he is kind of sort of a modern day renaissance man because he, he, he's doing a lot. Uh, real estate investor. Um, but I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me today, Damien. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for Renaissance man is, uh, it's always flattering. Um, I, you know, for me, it's just day to day, but uh, yeah, I, I do have a lot going on, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I, I'll, I'll start by, um, you know, framing up our conversation and how we met. So we met at FinCon, which for those who don't know, is a conference for folks that put out content and education and products and services around uh, financial services. And so we met up mm -hmm. there. We had lunch and I was uh, very impressed at your Wealth Noir brand after you explained to me what it meant. Um, but before we kind of, and so I want to spend a lot of time on that, but before we go there, kind of talk about like, you know, you got a pretty interesting story of how you got involved in tech and in your background. So, you know, you know yeah. we, can, we can start from what hospital are you born? No, I'm just playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the backdrop, I guess, to where I am today and uh, things like that. So, you know, one day on a starry night, my mom met my dad. No, I, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm originally from D.C. Uh, my family is actually I was first generation American. My family's from the Caribbean. Um, and growing up, you know, I just kind of always been in the computers. It was something my dad fostered. Um, I went to the University of Maryland, studied computer science and economics. I went to consulting, uh, government consulting afterwards in the D.C. area. And you know, after four years of that, I ended up moving to Atlanta um, with the company. But I, you know, I had always wanted to go back to school and I always wanted, I had more entrepreneurial pursuits and um, uh, more hardcore tech. So I was programming, I was doing a lot of development, but it still was government consulting. It worked very slow. All the technology was old, you know, things like that, bureaucracy. Uh, so I went to MIT to get my um, MBA um, around 2010. Um, interestingly, that was the foreshadow of me currently living in Spain, um, which uh, me and my now wife backpacked across Europe um, right before going to school. She also went to get her master's um, in public policy at the same time. But after that, um, I originally had, you know, my plans were to go back to DC, but I really wanted to get into tech. So we decided to make the move out to Silicon Valley, out to Bay Area, California. Um, and I started working at a few startups. I interned over the summer, 
Um, and after working in gaming, starting out in gaming, I eventually went to Facebook. And uh, the whole time I was working as a product manager. And you know, for those who don't know, um, anything, any tech that gets built, typically you have engineers that are coding it. You have designers who are making it look good. Um, analytics, people who are telling you if it's working or not. Um, and then you have your product manager who just kind of catches everything else. They need to define a vision and lead the team and all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it was a really good mix for me because um, oftentimes they call, you know, they call us many CEOs. Um, so I was leading a team, kind of leading a product area. It was a good mix of my technical and business background. Um, and then one day my wife was like, we're going to have a baby. And I was like, great, because we've been trying. Uh, so I was excited, but I worked a lot. Um, I loved my job. I loved working at Facebook. Um, I was traveling all over. I was flying internationally like four, three, you know, three four times a year, I had meetings, um, conferences. But, uh, you know, I, it was a lot of time. Um, so at the time, I, I said, I'm going to take a year off. I want to take a year off. I want to be there during my son's first year. And um, you know, he'll just have to remember me after that. No, but um, then, and when I was telling my coworkers and friends about this, everyone thought, you know, it was kind of insane. Uh, and I thought it was insane that they thought it was insane. Uh, so, you know, if people don't know, Facebook pays pretty well. And, you know, I thought we were all kind of, you know, we're all in this overly well compensated pool of professionals, but the idea of having money or having made some investments um, in the past to pay for not working seemed crazy to everyone. About me at that time, I had two rental properties in Maryland. Um, I had started a dating and relationship blog of all things about eight years prior, and that was actually continuing to you know, provide a little bit of money. We had a team um, at the time. And in addition to that, I was a very aggressive saver. Um, I'm happy to say I saved about 50% of my um, total compensation while working at Facebook and, you know, use that to buy more properties and to put into the stock market. Um, so taking a year off didn't seem crazy at all. And that experience was, was what birthed Wealth Noir. Um, I really saw a gap where there are professionals who have, kind of, especially African-Americans. Uh, so like my, I myself am black and African-American and um, especially amongst my friends who are also black, it was completely absurd to not work for that long. Uh, and what I realized is even though many of my friends were lawyers, also worked in tech, doctors, things like that, they weren't building wealth. They weren't thinking about how can I get to a point? How do I create extra revenue streams? How do I invest in real estate? How am I do I put money in the stock market? How can I get to a point where um, I'm free to take either an extended period or stop working altogether? So Wealth Noir is a brand and company is really focused on um, solving the wealth gap. And we really target uh, professionals who are working and who you know, have a reasonable kind of salary and income um, and help them think about building wealth, increasing their net worth and getting to a point where work is optional and you work because you enjoy the work and you, know, you want extra money um, there. And, you know, we do that through the content that we publish. We have a few products um, that we've launched one, uh, 10 day challenge and working on a couple uh, um, extra on top of that. And then in addition to Wealth Noir, I run a, um, so I, I now have three real estate properties, five units total, um, all in Maryland area that I run remotely here from Valencia, Spain. Um, so after deciding to start Wealth Noir, after leaving Facebook, after 
getting to spend a ton of time with my son, um, I'd always wanted to move internationally. My wife finally said, hey, the baby's young. It's only going to get harder. Uh, she told me Spain or Italy. We picked Spain and moved on to Valencia. So now here from Valencia, um, I run Wealth Noir, where the company's fully remote. Everyone works from home or whatever coffee shop they want. Uh, I also run a small boutique consulting um, company called Victorium Consulting Group, where I use my experience working in tech to help other startups and other companies you know, solve their problems um, there. And outside of that, I drink a lot of sangria and play with my baby. Um, oh, nice, nice. So, man, it's a... It's a lot that I can go from there. Where I'm going to start is going going back to the beginning. So go to Facebook product product manager at yeah. Facebook. Um, how how early were you at Facebook? What, what what year were you working there? Yeah, so they had just celebrated their tenth year um, anniversary. So I wasn't there from you know the get go, but from Facebook terms. Um, it still was a pretty early time. So the company is about, I think, four to five times bigger now than it was when I started. And even- so you were there like right when they IPO'd or be right before they IPO'd? It was, um, it was actually about, oh, it was like a year after or something. I remember where the stock price was, which was around 56. Um, so well, it had already dropped- IPO'd at 40, right? Yeah, the IPO'd I think around 40, it had dropped into the 30s. And then when I came in, it was around 56. Um, it's now sitting at 160, I think it is. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty good time for me. Um, but, yeah, the company was, uh, we were under 10,000 at the time. I think we're, yeah, the company's around 40 or, or more thousand then. Um, oh. And, you know, things were still pretty small then. Um, I, I reported, uh, I met with my VP regularly who, went golfing with Mark. Mark would walk around the campus all time, all day. We only had one building, which um, was shocking at the time. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, it was, a, it was a good fun time because the company was at the size where there were, you know, we had resources. Obviously, we had a lot of users, a lot of impact, but we're still small where it actually at times felt more chaotic than the startup that I left, um, which was only 150 people. Um, everyone was just kind of, you know, working and hustling and um, building great products. And, and so for, our, for us non-tech uh, folks, uh, what does a project manager do? And was that what you, what you did at the previous startups? Yeah, so yeah, when I left, um, I started being a product, um, and it's slight difference between product and project manager, um, but a product manager in school, I interned at Zynga, the gaming company, and then I went um, after school to TinyCo, another gaming company, before finally going to Facebook. And as a product manager, you're, um, you're in charge with ensuring um, your product line, so typically you'll be given a product line, and that varies um, in terms of what's considered a product line. Mine at the time was around locations and places on Facebook. So um, if you ever checked into a place on Facebook, no one ever thinks about how did Facebook know that there was a food cart in the middle of the street in Thailand. Um, it takes a lot of work to actually create this, you know, well mapped database of the entire world. So my team focused a lot on 
getting that data in, getting it cleansed and having people work on it. And then I transitioned to an advertising team. So the way as a product manager, you know, I had several, about six or seven engineers. We had a data analytics person on our team. We had a marketing team we worked, we shared with a couple other teams um, along with a designer. And you're there to set a vision for the product to determine what success looks like, what failure looks like. Do you need more engineers, less engineers? Um, should you invest in, you know, in my case, it was like, do we double down on Thailand? Thailand was really important for us for a multitude of reasons. Um, do we triple down on like Canada or is the U.S. solved? Um, that type of thing. And, you know, it meant um, reporting up to management, um, keeping everyone aligned on a single goal, figuring out the metrics, where we were failing, where we were doing. Um, so that's why they typically describe it as like a mini CEO. It's kind of like running a very small, mm. isolated startup, but obviously you have the resources of um, you know, the rest of the team. And even for me, one reason I went into product management, it's a great um, training grounds for becoming, going into entrepreneurship. Um, I you know, remember meetings, uh, trying to hustle. I think I took people out for coffee to try and get them to join my team um, because I need to recruit and get more numbers. You know, I need to defend my numbers um, and, you know, make sure we're solving the right goals. Otherwise, they would just disband the team and, you know, they'll move you to somewhere else. Small chance you'd get fired. Um, but that's why, yeah, it's a, it's a really great job um, for anyone who's thinking about or ever considering it uh, to go into tech because of the amount of kind of flexibility and control you get in terms of um, really driving results for the company. No, that's, that's pretty cool. So, and so that was, so that was separate from advertising, right? So what, what happened when you went to advertising? How was Yes. So then I moved over to the advertising team. Um, I was just really interested in seeing how the company made money. Uh, and I worked on advertising measurement, which is a lot is very technical in terms of confidence intervals and mathematical modeling and did this person see the ad versus did they click on the ad did they buy it and how can you figure that out it's actually a very complicated data problem um but yeah no that was actually really one that has actually helped influence um a lot of even what i'm doing now with my consulting company because understanding digital marketing in this day and age is extremely important um every company is either doing or trying to do something online in terms of um, increasing their brand awareness, getting conversions, things like that. So um, my team working on how do we measure if advertising is working meant we needed to understand the advertising itself, how it would be measured, what companies actually cared about in terms of you know, why were they spending money to advertise in the first place, and then how can you from an analytical and mathematical standpoint, tie those pieces together uh, to ensure that every dollar you spend on advertising is producing more than a dollar in sales. Right, right, and 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 the reason why, and and, and we're going to get to wealth noir, but I'm I'm I know this is probably real critical to to how you built your your other businesses because, in my opinion. Um, and I literally put my money where my mouth is because, you know, full disclosure, Facebook is a, a holding for my portfolio and clients' portfolios. I just, I think they have the best ad product out there right now, period. And so, and so you were part of the team helped build that, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's definitely, um, it definitely was an exciting or is an exciting time, but, uh, you know, 
you're there and you know, you're having discussions and it's like billion dollar questions that are coming up if we launch this one thing or um, you know, someone has an idea and it's like, oh, that may only make 15 million. So maybe we might think about doing it. Just the numbers and scales of kind of the decisions. Um, and as you said, Facebook really has done um, a lot. And I know I won't kind of speak on everything that's going on now. It's a very interesting time and I have a lot of friends who are still at the company. Um, but uh, yeah, when it did come to just, you know, making some innovations and in both figuring out uh, digital advertising, uh, we were working on a lot and it really, it really helped a lot both on growing Wealth Noir and building that um, company in sight and uh, obviously the work that I do with my clients. Yep, so let's, so let's, so let's move to that. Let's go to, let's go to Wealth Noir. So you, 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 you left, decided to leave Facebook, um, set up Wealth Noir. How'd you... Like what made you like, or, or how did that go down? So I know you said, yeah. you know, you kind of pre briefly explained it, but kind of walk us through that process of literally leaving and starting Wealth Noir. Yeah, so I started Wealth Noir, started working on the idea of Wealth Noir um, while still at Facebook. So long-term, I always knew I wanted to go um, become an entrepreneur. I wasn't sure what type of company and what I wanted to work on. Um, my father was an entrepreneur himself. He had his, um, always had various, he had like two different small businesses over um, his lifetime. And for me, it was around, you know, really thinking about what is it that I want to work on for the next four years straight. So um, I think a good rule of thumb oftentimes if you're thinking about starting a company is, you know, are you committed or are you really interested in this enough where you would work on it for four years? Um, because sometimes you know, things don't work out, product market fit, you need to grow, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so in terms of actually starting it, I, you know, I kind of mentioned the story of where the nugget for Wealth Noir started. Then I um, actually just bought the domain and created a page. So I created a basic page that said like Wealth Noir, it, came, you know, it was a cute little tagline and it allowed someone to put an email address if they were interested. And I used to always, and I bought a few ads just to um, get a little bit of traffic, but I would do this to test the idea. I wanted to see, you know, is this something that's just cool to me or is this actually cool to other people who eventually will you know, interact and either you know, look at our ads or buy our products, things like that. Um, while doing that, um, so, you know, I'm kind of like testing the idea. I'm actually talking to a bunch of friends. Um, I do believe when you have a good business idea, um, a business idea, tell everyone about it. I constantly see this and you know, work with a lot of startups um, where people are afraid because they think someone's going to steal the idea. And the truth of the matter is ideas are pretty cheap. I mean, Facebook was not the first company to come up with social media not by far, there was Friendster in MySpace. Um, it really is about the execution and kind of how you're gonna go about solving that problem. Um, so I got a lot of feedback um, in terms of you know, products, um, like how to think about the marketing, um, should we go with content, should we go directly into FinTech or in financial services? Um, and as, I, you know, as my wife was becoming more pregnant and the baby was getting bigger, I was faced with this decision of, okay, do I keep working on it, like on the side as a part-time? Do I make the, the switch now? Um, what does that all look like? And for me, it came down to, I knew with Wealth Noir, um, I would be working on something I felt very passionate about. I felt very strongly about the fact that a lot of people who look like me and come from my, have similar backgrounds, um, feel that they can't 
be wealthy, that they can't be a millionaire, or they can't have a large amount of money, they can't quit their job because you don't do that, it's not for us. Um, they can't move to Spain um, <laughs> or random things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew by building the company remotely, so I'd really wanted to live abroad, um, I started to see in, in talking with people that there were a lot more companies that were being run 100% remote, where they had no physical offices and people were distributed. There's a lot of benefits in terms of being able to get the best talent and um, not necessarily pay the most expensive rates. Um, like in the Bay Area, everyone and everything is just extremely expensive. Um, so, you know, it, it, the idea started to formulate into an actual plan. Like, here's what we can do. Here's the type of people. Um, One reason even we started with the media is because having run a dating relationship blog for several years and growing that, um, I learned a lot about how to market and um, create great content online and distribute it. So I, you know, in making the final decision, there were a couple key things that I thought I think were important. Uh, one, it was something I was personally passionate about. So I knew that I would work on this period. I would work on it for free. I would work on it in my, at nights, in the mornings. Um, two, it was utilizing skills that I specifically had. Having just, you know, working in advertising for several years, having run a um, digital media um, company or brand or blog beforehand, um, it was experience that I hadn't understood. And then lastly, the financial part. So as I started to talk to more people, I, I always thought what I did was normal. I thought everyone bought a rental property. My parents still have a rental property. I thought, you know, everyone does it at some point. Everyone invests in the stock market. Um, and I realized that actually what I had built up was a bit of a specialized knowledge um, that you know had really enriched my life um, and was giving me a lot of these options as I was facing this uh, big transition into fatherhood. Um, and you know, so I you know after germinating and kind of nurturing this idea and building it out into like an actual test page and seeing that some people were interested that when they came they the, like the concept really resonated with them. Um, uh, after so I took maternity uh, paternity leave. Facebook's nice, you get four months um, paid. And at the, during that paternity leave, I took care of my son and I started working on the idea. I started uh, putting together a team. I started writing content. I started doing more research. Um, I actually think my first FinCon, which is the one that we met at, was, uh, I can't remember if he was born at the time or not. Um, I think we were, it was post-launch, but yeah, at some point it just came to finally turning the switch on, turning the site from a landing page to actually on. Um, already had an email list of people um, and social media accounts and letting everyone know that we were open for business and just um, running with it from there. Nice, nice. And so, and, so Wealth, and so Wealth Noir does a lot of different things. Let's get into everything. You, so you have the blog, but you also do a lot um, more things with Wealth Noir. What, what are all the things you're doing now? Yeah, so we have um, 2019 is going to be our, is the year of like our launches. Um, uh, right now, we focus uh, primarily on financial media, and it's mostly uh, so our blog, um, our website is our main focus, and we consistently put out uh, long form content on different aspects. And we say we're more intermediate to advanced, so it will cover things like 1031 real estate tax exchanges or um, 
cryptocurrency as part of a direct, fully diversified portfolio doesn't make sense for you, you know, um, how to put together a proper um, uh, diversified portfolio using you know, index funds, um, things like that. Um, investing into real estate out of, you know, out of state, equity crowdfunding. We're just doing a series on investing in startups. Um, we launched our first product, which was a, is a 10 day net worth challenge. Um, and what that does is over the course of 10 days, it walks someone through how, what is your net, what does net worth mean? How to calculate it yourself um, manually how to set it up so you can have it automatically calculated for yourself. And then finally, how to think about your money in a way to grow your net worth over time. Um, I won't go into all of the, um, our launches next year because you know, I want something to surprise people with, but uh, we have a few services. And uh, another thing I am uh, that we're working on is actually putting together an investment fund um, that we would offer. Um, and part of it too is really, talking to our audience, talking to our community, um, everyone who joins Wealthmore is part of the Wealthmore community and gets access to the team. Um, and using that to start to really start launching and moving more aggressively this year on new product launches. Nice. No, man, I, lo I, I love what you're doing because you're, you know, you, when we connected, you were, you were speaking my language and, and we have uh, similar passions and, and you're, you know, and I'm sure you know so many folks um, that are doing this, you know, there's a difference between like doing it, living it and actually preaching it. And so you preach it and live it, which I respect, you know. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, no, man, definitely. So the the consulting is the last last question I have for, for, the, for the businesses. So how, how does that work? And I'm asking because I, I know um, – a few folks in the Dallas DFW startup community listen to my podcast and I know they're going to have questions about, you know, getting up, a, uh, getting yeah. their startup up to date. So what, what are you doing in that business? Yeah. Um, interestingly, actually, one of my past clients is, was based out of um, Dallas. Uh, it was a tech startup. Um, uh, yeah. Based out of Dallas um, and was working with them on their mobile app and things like that. But yeah, the, the core thing that uh, we do and do the best and do the well is that um, I find in particular a lot of startups have issues with their product and, and it may be, so I'll use an example. Um, um, one client, they had an app that was out in the market and they had some sales and, you know, they had people, but they were having issues, you know, getting more people to download the app. People were, you know, downloading and signing it up, but they weren't actually per making purchases through it. Um, things along those lines. And, you know, they weren't sure what was wrong. They're like, we know there's some problems. Also too, they had some, uh, several issues with the engineering. So they, um, engineers were constantly behind schedule. This actually, the engineers behind schedule is one of my specialties that's come up multiple times. Um, they, you know, um, projects were being com coming out buggy. They were having to do a lot of rework, things like that. So part of it, on the product side is um, going through and actually helping them understand um, and track and measure the different key points of their product and you know what makes it important. So what is the user journey? Like when I open the app, what do I see? After I log in, where do I go? Um, putting, working with the engineering team to put in data to say, okay, out of 100% of people that download the app, you know, 25% actually open the app. After 25% open the app, only 10% actually complete the signup flow. 
Um, and then given that they complete the sign-up flow, you know, only 5% actually enter in payment details and maybe 1% complete a purchase. Um, and looking at that funnel and saying, you know, here's what, here's how we get more people who download the app to actually um, sign up for it, right? And sometimes that's going to be marketing and messaging. Uh, some apps will present something from a advertising standpoint because they want people to download it. And the person is shocked then when they open the app and it's slightly different. So you kind of end up wasting your money. So having kind of a clear marketing message um, helps with things like that. In the actual interface of the app itself, you know, the sign-up process asks for you know, like eight pieces of information. And talking with them, they actually only need three pieces of information, or they only need you know, two to get started and then one for later on. So we'll rework the flow and how the onboarding process works to actually increase the number of people who make it through to an actual conversion event. Um, then setting them up with kind of the data and analytics. So it's not just a one-time looking through it and saying like, this should be blue, this should be green, move it up and down. But here are the numbers on a regular basis. Here's the type of things that you should be looking for and getting and understanding and getting um, to make changes and improvements as time goes on. And then the other big piece, as I mentioned, was around the engineering. So that, in this case, involved um, like aggressively working with the engineers. So we started doing calls twice a week, uh, going over, showing them how to put together a project plan and product roadmap, um, showing you know how testing should be done or how they could improve their testing processes, uh, launching launching apps. So it's typically not as simple as like pushing a button and saying, hey, Apple, it's, I'm good. Um, like for example, when I worked in gaming, we had a person who would actually go to Apple every week and have a meeting with someone. And the only purpose of that meeting was so that we kept a good relationship so that our app got launched live quicker. Um, having those type of relationships and understanding how that works really can lower a lot of time and a lot of issues um, when it comes to your app getting rejected or other things like that. Um, similar with websites too, you know, we see this over and over both from either the marketing being off from the actual product offering, um, the, the flow to use the product or sign up or pay for it is complicated. And uh, when you make these small tweaks, you know, without actually building something new or launching a new product or even, you know, increasing your marketing spend, you see revenue increase, you see engagement increase, you see the metrics that are important. And this is the type of stuff I did at Facebook, at TinyCo, at Zynga. We, as a product manager, you're sitting there like, well, if this button was three pixels shorter, would it increase, you know, downloads or submissions or game time um, and setting up systems where you can test this and measure it and understand it. Um, outside of that, another big area because I've worked so much in digital marketing is helping with digital marketing. How do you buy ads? How do I buy Facebook? Should I be buying Google? Do I do lead um, as my target goal? Should I just buy impressions? Uh, do I go to a landing page? Do I put it directly into the app store? How do I know if someone downloaded the app from the app from the ad versus they Googled me, um, all that kind of tracking, um, the funnels, um, even social media too. So, uh, you know, what type of content should you be publishing on different channels? How do you drive the, your engagement on social media to actual sales and conversions into your company and revenue for you? Um, so it's, you know, uh, particularly the digital marketing and then the product, um, and they're very intertwined. Um, that tends to be my specialty in particular uh, and where I focus a lot of my time. Hey man, that is a money making specialty over the next 50 years. Um, 
and I'm curious if you think the same way that I do. Every every just every regular non-tech business owner that I talk to, um, you know, I'm 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 telling them, hey, I know you guys don't don't enjoy tech, but if you're not doing something like thinking about your business as a media company, uh, you're going to get like ran over over the next 10 to 20 years. And so no matter if, if, you know, if you got the money, you need to hire somebody to help you put it together, but you can't ignore it. I mean, do you feel the same way? Oh, I, I completely feel the same way. Even, you know, I love how, um, you know, you have this podcast, you know, I've had you on Wealth Noir. We interviewed you um, a while ago to, you know, highlight your story and how you, you, know, you created the company. But, you know, it is, I see this constantly, and especially you see this in finance and financial services a lot where, you know, it's like, well, I just, you know, I, I hand out business cards and I meet people. Um, my website, I don't really have a website. I set up this free thing on Wix or something. Um, and, you know, but my phone number's on there. People can just call me. And it's like, well, if you, you know, instead of putting your phone number, you can actually create a link and this person can automatically schedule some time with you. Or, um, hey, did you know you can ask three questions and three questions will, you know, get rid of 50% of the um, calls that, aren't a good fit for you. Um, and, you know, and some, and you definitely see the difference, right? You see some people get it, even like property managers randomly who I work with, some are like understand the internet and digital marketing and, you know, they'll have content and blogs about, you know, being a, a landlord um, versus others who really just have like a business card and they talk to people. Um, and as the world continues to get digitized, as the world becomes smaller, as, as me and you can have a conversation that will go out on the internet while I'm in Spain here in Texas, uh, all these things become more important and every company will, you know, face like the question of, am I leaning and utilizing technology or is it actually just something that's going to continue to chip away at my um, business over time? No, man. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. We'll, and, and, and we'll, we're about to move to the last five questions, but it, the, fu the funny part is literally I interviewed, um, I interviewed, you know, one of my two best friends yesterday who he runs a, a business out of Malawi, Africa, and so both of y'all are going to be back to back talking about um, just up and moving and doing business yeah. all over the world and not being afraid to. So, um, so. Yeah. Um, that, and that's that, one thing too, randomly I'll give a plug for, for anyone who's thinking about either permanently or temporarily moving out of the country just for a change, just because maybe the political environment isn't to your liking. Um, it's, there's a lot of benefits just from, again, to experience somewhere else. Um, the cost of living here is about a third of what we paid in Oakland, California. Um, my son's learning Spanish. I'm learning Spanish. Um, and, you know, sangria is a, a lot cheaper than it is than the wine is in California. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's something that tends to get a lot of people get scared about. Um, I've actually been writing a series called Living Abroad where I kind of go through step by step um, different topics where people are thinking about um, the expat life. But yeah, um, just as a plug for anyone listening who's thinking about it, like seriously look into it. It's not as scary as people think. I'm going to start, start, start reading those and I'm going to forward it to my wife. She's, uh, she's the one I got to work on. Yeah, it, it took me about three years of that to till I got my yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so la last question. So f first question is, um, if um, 
if you can travel back in time to talk to 22 year old Damien, what would you tell him? Mm, that's a good one. Um, I mean, really, I want to say buy. I'm trying to think which stock I would tell him to buy. Um, <laughs> but you know, that would be like one of the easiest ones. Um, uh, 22 year old. So, okay. And Ramley, I did write about this too. Um, the biggest loss I've ever had on my books, and it still is a slightly negative balance, was actually my first house that I bought. Um, I bought it in 2017. So it was actually, as the crisis had already started, so I thought I was getting a deal, you know, it was already under. Um, and in total, at, at its worst point, I was down about 130000 in terms of negative equity on that house. Um, I would tell 22-year-old Damien, uh, I still, no, actually I wouldn't, I still would keep that because I learned so much from it. I, I would tell 22-year-old Damien, buy, uh, I'm thinking either Microsoft, um, Facebook wasn't out back then, but I would tell him probably put all the money into StockX. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that's kind of a cop out. What, 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 what year were you 22? Uh, yeah. How old are you now? 35. I'm trying to do the math. Um, yeah. What was like that? 2005, 06-ish? Yeah. Yeah, I was like 06 because I had just started working. Um, yeah. I almost feel like you would know the better stock play. Yeah, I was going to say, tell your 22-year-old self, just wait two or three years and buy as much Amazon, mm. <laughs> buy as mm. much Amazon, yeah. Google, you know, Facebook wasn't out yet. Microsoft, like all three of those would be, were like selling for a stupid price in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would explain him Fang um, and uh, <laughs> Facebook, Amazon, is it Netflix and Google? Netflix. Yep. And yeah. Netflix really didn't even take off until 14, 15 um yeah but it, it it's man that's a i, I will say my i actually did get into netflix um a year or two ago and i'm up i think it's like 260 ish percent um it was yeah was, uh there's a couple although ironically i did own apple stock when i was 22 i think that's what i would tell myself i ended up selling it apple was an amazing stock to own at 22 Yes. And after I had two X, I was like, there's no way I can make any more money. And they had like a bad day. And I was like, let me get out. Yeah, of course, they've since tripled, I think, from that two X standpoint. So um, I've yeah, learned my lesson. Hey, I bought I bought Apple uh, in January when it when it tanked. It is it's 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 it's, it's kind of like so I got like a weird rule and I'm, I'm gonna get to the question. I don't want to go into me, but you mentioned Apple. Uh, you mentioned Netflix that I want to buy so bad, but I have like a Warren Buffett type valuation. Yeah. But it's not like old school Buffett. It's maybe like mixed Buffett with somebody who understands tech. So it, it'll, it keeps me out of a lot of stocks that I really, really want to be in until, until I can get it at a good price. But Netflix is one where I'm like, Oh man, I just need them to have some big scandal. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trade on the bad. Dude. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. There's a, there's a few times. Um, and I don't think I, I, I didn't do it, but I was considering it even with one of um, Facebook's recent, uh, it was maybe a year or two ago, uh, you know, uh, one of, you know, something that came out, I can't remember if it was the Cambridge Analytics or something else. And I was like, man, this might be, because, you know, the long-term fundamentals haven't changed. Um, and randomly, I, I actually bought Chipotle at, right after the salmonella outbreak. That ended up not 
being that great of a, a buy. But I was like, you know, Chipotle felt like rock solid. They were down, I think, 40% in a week. And I was like, this seems like a good point. Um, like slightly up now. But anyways, I, yeah, I 100% know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Qu- question number two. So brands. So what are, what are the top three brands that, um, that you, you know, spend your money on when you look at your statements every month, either personally or business that you say, these are brands that I'm happy to spend money with. I like them and I just can't, you know, have life or business without them. That's another really good question. Um, so I'm definitely a tech person, um, you know, even professionally, but the amount of gadgets and stuff I have in my house is like, uh, I have a Wi-Fi scale, a robotic vacuum cleaner, just like, um, like hardcore tech, but um, Apple definitely is one. Uh, and th- I've have had a love and hate relationship with certain aspects of Apple. As an engineer, some of some things they do kind of restrict you from the platform, but Apple definitely would be one. Um, I do really like their products. They tend to be a, you know, a bit higher end, but uh, they last long. Um, and um, ironically, just having talked so much about Facebook, um, you know, they, their stance on both um, user privacy and things along those lines is something I really respect um, mm. from the brand. Um, another company which I don't own an insane amount of stuff from a good amount of stuff is uh, Toomey. Uh, they make luggage. Um, so I really have this thing about luggage. I'm just like really particular. I own way more suitcases than I need to. When I was traveling a lot for work, I just started to get into like high-end luggage. Um, and I haven't spent a ton on it because they're quite expensive, but uh, Toomey is a brand. I, when I, I have a Toomey backpack, it's like one of my favorite things. It's um, it just... I don't know why it just means a lot to me, but I really have liked um, both from the quality, um, the general prestige of it, and uh, you know, functionally they they do some good things. Um, they have like an international barcode tracking system that they build into everything. Um, and then the last one, the third one, um, I'm trying not to say. Yeah, I guess it would be Google. Um, and it's not that I actually spend a ton of money. Um, I do actually have some paid Google products for my company. We run um, most of the company on the Google platform. But uh, I I do sign up and buy a lot of Google-related products. I um, Both from the – I used to be fully Android. I recently switched to iPhone because my wife wanted to FaceTime. Um, but – yeah, I actually, there's a lot of their services and as a company, as a brand, um, I have a lot of friends who work there personally or who have worked there and still do. Um, but I, I have, I, I really do like them as a tech company. Um, uh, yeah, so I'll stick yeah, with you, them. You and me both, we're, we're doing this on a Pixel book. I got a Pixel phone. They, I just are, bought my mom a Pixel book. Yeah, I, I love it, man. It's, they run my email. And, it, and it's crazy how Google like slowly creeped into my life. Like it was little mm-hmm. by little. I realized, God, you guys are like everything for, for yeah. me right now. They're like a, I'm, I'm waiting for their price to get knocked down too because they are quietly creeping up. I, I, this next question I'm going to ask, and, and you, you'll kind of understand while I'm asking these questions because you invest. But this next question, I'm curious on how, you, how you're going to answer. So where do you get your uh, news and information now? Yeah, that has been interesting. So about a year, year and a half ago. Um, so let's say two, three years ago, I used to read TechCrunch like every day. Um, um, 
And, you know, that's more so hardcore tech, um, a lot of startups, acquisitions, things that are going on. Um, and generally, I would say Facebook, actually, I, I would get a lot of news um, uh, just perusing Facebook, um, things like that. But uh, about a year and a half ago, it was during the four-hour work week, another book that actually helped convince me to move abroad. And he was talking about how much time he spent reading news and just he was like anything that's super important you'll find that someone will tell you about it and then you can go google it later so i've actually cut back a significant amount of the news that i listen to and read um but ironically google is actually where i get most of my news from now and not by googling um i bought a google um home enabled speaker recently mm -hmm. so i configured in google assistant a suite of companies to play me tech news and then general u.s news because um, even getting u.s news is is different when you live in europe it's more like how what europeans think of america versus kind of you know what, what's it like when you're inside um but yeah google the google speaker and um it's cnet is one of the big ones that um, come up on there and i listen to in terms of regular tech news business insider they have um another segment um that plays uh, and there's like two more that i'm forgetting um TechCrunch is still a company and a site that i do go to from time to time and um, i really like but yeah that's where i'm getting a lot of my news from i interestingly i don't listen i, I actually try not to listen to a lot of um financial news because uh, it's always a okay is this um is this story trying to give me information or are they trying to garner viewers um and some of it is i don't want to say sensationalist a lot of times i'm more of like give me a a, um, a 10k as opposed to the latest headlines um or you know i want to hear what happened on the on the, the last earnings call um and because I, I do also invest for typically a three to five year time frame. Like most stocks I buy hold for three to five years, um, um, things along those lines. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm getting my news from nowadays. Yeah, we, we, we are kindred spirits in that. I, I, I might keep the news on, um, which I don't really watch, but I like to see stocks that get hammered, you know, mm -hmm. old people are getting overexcited. Yeah. But I'm like you, it, and and I knew you. I knew you're gonna say Google because everybody in our age bracket gets their news from Google. It's weird, and it just kind of happened all of a sudden. I'm like, man, they're doing something. Um, no, they, they. Um, I mean, they they constantly launch new products, and like, and then they slowly figure out how to connect them together, and then you know, like they're just kind of throwing AI on everything else, and. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they make a lot of good services and they don't charge money for 99% of them, which is very appealing to, I think, people in general and our generation. Yep, yep. Uh, last two questions. So what, what, what are some, whenever you're turning your brain off and you're just wanting to uh, not think about a whole lot, what, what types of shows do you watch and like specific, specific shows or movies that, that you like? Yeah, so I do like... Um, uh, so Netflix is my go-to kind of channel or source um, uh, for things. Amazon Prime has also been pretty good to me. Um, now that we're abroad, we actually use Sling TV to get American television, uh, things like that. But in terms of um, specifically, like one right now, and I just crushed the first season, there's a new show on Netflix called The Umbrella Academy. Oh, I love um, it. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, billions, billions 
which, I mean, for this conversation, I guess. Uh, but I love Billions um, on Showtime. Uh, just the, like, how things play out and kind of, yeah, I don't even know how realistic, per se, a billionaire would act like that, but um, truly love the show. Um, uh, um, uh, what's the other one on HBO? Um, uh, Awkward Black, not Awkward Black Girl, Insecure. Okay. Love Insecure. Um, watch that religiously. And the true ultimate, I'm like relaxing and not thinking, uh, The Office. So, you know, it's been off the year for almost 10 years. I watch the reruns consistently. Um, it's actually the last show I watch almost every night before I go to sleep. Uh, you know, I never, I got to get into that. I have, I have never gotten into it, but I've heard it's, it's every time I've like accidentally watched this, you know, watched them like a TBS rerun or something, I've, I've laughed. So I got to do that. Yeah, no, it, it reminds me a lot of one of my first managers. Um, and he's, it, 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 I'm over exaggerating if he's listening to this, but um, <laughs> it was yeah, some of, some of the, the antics in the office, um, one guy in the office used to watch the office too and make jokes about it. But uh, it, it kind of reminds me of more of the non-techie days where things were a bit more bureaucratic and uh, interesting. Um, yep. Those are good reminisce. Oh, another one randomly, House of Lies. Um, it's off the air now, but it was on Showtime, Don Cheadle. Uh, it's about consulting. And since I was a consultant for so many years, it's, and the guy who actually wrote the book that the show was based off worked at my old firm. Um, but yeah, I, I used to, I loved that show. Um, watched, I think, it two times, uh, the whole series, I think, two times through. Hmm. Okay. And the last question, uh, three three books. So what are, what are your top three books that you've either read lately or of all time? Yeah. So one which um, not a lot of people seem to know about um, and really was great for me as I started my new business and my new company is called Small Giants. So... One big thing about starting a company while being in the, the Bay is that you know, I wanted to start a somewhat smaller and bootstrapped self-funded company. And everyone's like, why would you do that? You know, you know, you literally have friends who are personal friends who you hang out and drink with who are in venture capital, give you money or you can and you help you raise. And this is the world where you raise money. Um, and, you know, I didn't and I wasn't sure why. And, you know, I was very conflicted with this. Uh, so Small Giants is a book that talks about companies that don't necessarily focus on growth just for the sake of growth or to be big. But, you know, the founders, um, like Cliff Bar is one of, the, one of the companies they talk about where they're based in Berkeley and they actually, I think they eventually did sell, but, you know, they rebuffed several offers to buy. And part of it was he didn't want his workers to have to move to a new location. He, you know, he, he wanted to build a company where people really happy and excited to work for. And his goal wasn't just to make money and make the company big. Um, and they have several different stories about it. And they talk about how to build, you know, even the culture and what things um, you can do to be successful financially. Um, but in addition, that your company actually mimics the, the things that are important to you outside of uh, just making money and growing. So especially for entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about it and are concerned that they have to go the go big or go bust route, um, it's a really great counter perspective to what you find in most say, entrepreneurial books. Um, the four-hour work week, and I mentioned that briefly before, but a uh, big Tim Ferriss fan, um, 
and partially both how he talks about, um, you know, there's a couple life hacks just fundamentally in terms of automating things, not spending too much time listening to the news. Um, uh, moving abroad, he talks, he was the first person who introduced to me the concept of a mini retirement. And I work too much now to consider this a mini retirement, um, um, maybe the first month or two. But, you know, he talks about you can, a lot of people shun the idea of a going somewhere and maybe taking a year to two to three years and either living internationally or just living somewhere else um, or just taking a break from work and using that time to learn a new skill, to recoup, to grow as a person. Um, and that was actually one of the big things, which isn't the main theme of the book, um, but he does talk a lot about living abroad and um, even optimizing your business, um, uh, things like that. And his the way he approaches lifestyle design um, has been really appealing to me. So now when I think about all the things that I'm doing, I think about it holistically about what do I want to do today and what do I want to do in 10 years and what do I want my son to have or have access to in 20 years um, and really try and design my lifestyle around that. Um, you know what, and I'll throw a plug in there too and ask you a question around that because I think, I really think me and you are kind of for real, like we think similarly but my, my big takeaway, I read that book probably every year too. And mm -hmm. I think I think most people miss the big takeaway. I think the big takeaway is specifically for, for maybe guys like guys and girls like me and you, my takeaway was how to live life the way you want to live life without being con confined to the uh, quote unquote rules. Meaning like I'm always gonna I'm always gonna work. Like I don't I don't dread Mondays. And I get excited on Sunday nights, and I'm sure you probably do too, but it's how do you set up your life in a way where you're not doing stuff that you don't want to do? You know what I mean? Like I get up yeah. and I want to work, you know? Right. And if I want to take three weeks off, my life is set up in a way where I could. And I think that's the takeaway. Yes, exactly. I am. We, me and my family went to Barcelona this last weekend. It's about three hours from here. And Basically, we saw a TV show on Monday, and by Tuesday, we were like, you know, we haven't been to Barcelona in, like, forever. We should just go. Um, and because, again, we've structured our life in a way where we can work from there versus here, or, um, um, you know, we're in Spain in the first place, so obviously it's a lot easier to go. But, yeah, one of the key things in the book, and then even as I talk to people, and especially with Wealth Noir, it's one thing we focus on, but people are very afraid to um, demand kind of what they want in their life and try and design a system and a, a set of jobs or job or, you know, free time around it. They, there's this view of, I have to do it because I have to do it. Um, and yeah, that, that book is really great in forcing you to say, think about what you want and work to get it because you can get it. It's not this arbitrary thing that only, um, uh, it recently did a talk to on moving abroad and the host actually said, I only thought people trust fund babies could afford to live in like Spain. I was like, Nope, just a, another black kid from DC. Um, <laughs> like we can all do it. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, maybe, I don't know if maybe either half of my family came from Houston or New Orleans, or maybe you have some Antiguan in you, but um, maybe that's how we found each other at FinCon. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It was fate. It was. It was. What's, what's, what's the last book? I interrupted mm -hmm. you. 
Yes, the last book. And the last book, uh, there's a few um, I was thinking about because I was thinking like, like a real estate, like a business, things like that. But um, one book, and I recently reread it after I think around 10 years, was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know, very cliche for anyone who talks about personal finances in this space, but um, I always loved how he you know, told a story that kept was captivating. I first read the book either in college or high school. Um, and even rereading it now, you know, having under, understanding assets and liabilities and the quadrants and all these good things, um, it's just this core think about long-term wealth and not just riding around in a Ferrari. Um, that is such a core thing that um, especially now and especially as we you know, think about a like consumer debt crisis and um, just consumerism in general, um, it's a great book to kind of remind you that there's a bigger picture and um, think about how your money moves through your own personal system. And especially when you start talking about lifestyle design, um, understanding that takes a, is a big component of it. Mm -hmm. oh, good, good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out to, to hang out today. I'm going to link up um, whatever sites you want me to link up. Definitely Wealth Noir on the, on the show notes. Um, those on my email list, I'll also uh, send a special email with all the information as well. Um, uh, so, and, I, and I'll make sure when we finish, I'll get all the links from you. Um, but thanks for, thanks for hanging out today. No, definitely appreciate it. And um, yeah, let me know uh, when things go live. You know, I'll let my um, the Wealth Noir community too. But um, that you know, there's another podcast uh, you know um, uh, for them to check out. And then also, you know, especially you having been an interviewer alum, you actually were our first interview ever um, on the website. We've gone on oh, to do you know, several based on our you know that that model. Um, so really, yeah, really excited that we could connect again and talk and outside of just recording the podcast, you know, it's always good to catch up and talk to you and, uh, you know, see what's going on with you and uh, talk some more. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Thanks, thanks. Information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make any offers or solicitation for any investment advice and investments and investment strategies purchasing any businesses you need to seek with your own advisors tax professionals or anyone uh, that you work with uh, before you uh, implement any of these ideas strategies discussed enjoy your day